Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. After a little bit of a hiatus, I was on vacation. Enjoying myself out in the, the SoCal sun. And a man who knows all about that is the prince of Twitter, the regent of Red State, Andrew Malcolm, at ahmalcolm.com on the Twitters. Uh, not, not, not at ahmalcolm on the Twitters. Redstate.com. What the heck am I saying, Andrew? I, I, I do this every week and I still screw it up. No, that's okay. You've been off, so your mind has been turning to jello. Well, that's because I was in California, right? I mean, isn't that that's where right. people, that's, that's where, right. Yeah, I'm, both of us have lived there in the past. We know that's where people's minds, that, where, where people right. go to have their minds turned to jello. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. I was in uh, San Francisco for a few years back in the 70s and then 20 years uh, this century in uh, Southern California. So, uh know a little bit about the place the weather is fantastic after that after that there's uh, yeah <laughs> the weather was actually better in texas to be honest oh, with you well that's why you went there <laughs> <laughs> we were we were joking around about that because it, it the weather just started getting warm in texas just as we were leaving and so my wife's going you know it's only going to be in the 60s in California. It's going to be in the oh, high 70s, brr. low 80s. Yeah, well, I know. That's practically parka Cali weather. In Southern California, some years ago, we were going to church on Christmas Eve, and it was 50. And uh, people were walking through the parking lot huddled up in their parkas. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, I will tell you this is before we moved to Minnesota. Um uh, there was a morning I was chewing my son out because he didn't put a jacket on because it was 60 degrees outside, oh, young man. come on. Going to catch you your death of cold. Pneumonia? 60 degrees. And then we moved to Minnesota where 60 <laughs> degrees was shorts weather, you know, so shorts and t-shirt weather. <laughs> well, when I lived in Montana, there were people running between government buildings at 10 below in their shirt sleeves. Uh, not me, but no. some. No, not me, some, but. Yeah. Um, all right. So I missed a lot over the past week. I've been catching up. Uh, today is my first day back as we're recording this. And um, so I'm caught up on, on a lot of stuff. But one of the things that I had to catch up on, in fact, was kind of watching while I was gone, was Andrew's uh, Andrew's commentaries over at redstate.com. We're going to talk about those today because we didn't get a chance to do this last week. Um, you've got actually a few of these up now. Um and I want to start with the first one, which I think is the most recent. This is the one that would have come out on Sunday, your VIP column with Joe Biden in office, lying is the new normal. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's more of this out today. And I, I don't know if this actually, I don't think this this particular one made it into your, um, into your commentary, but apparently uh, he has again uh, declared that he used to drive an 18-wheeler. Yeah, yeah. The I White mean, House had to walk that one back. I think it was a few months ago when he made that claim yeah. earlier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it, they must have a, a walk back officer over there. Uh, now, some of them. I mean, that is kind of like, oh, that's the crazy uncle at Thanksgiving who tells the same story every year. Um, but some of the stuff he's doing uh, is dangerous i mean it, it, it his mouth has become a national security threat in many ways um you know he was he was talking specifics about the invasion beforehand which could be traced back to the intelligence source right um if you're too specific if, if you're russian you can if you're putin you can figure out who was in the meeting where that was discussed and finger the guy um so that was ridiculous. Then, of course, he called for regime change. Um, and on the spur of the moment, our presidents get in trouble when they do that. Uh, Obama's uh, red line in Syria over chemical weapons was a spur of the moment, uh, was not in, in right. his text. He didn't have a text for that. Um, and then uh, Biden uh, was meeting with the 82nd Airborne in Poland and told them uh, what to expect when they got to Ukraine, which was news to their commanding officer since they're not going to Ukraine, but uh, at least at the moment. Right. So um, 
Yeah. But not, then, you know, he said he never talked with his son about Chinese business relations. And now Hunter's laptop has come out and is talking about the big guy, uh, 10%, and, and the, the, the Celtic um, uh, it was the code name for Joe, I guess. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's very disturbing. Uh, and, uh, you know, he wasn't going to have a mask mandate, and then he is. Uh, it's just uh, the, the list of his, the White House calls them misstatements or misspeaking, and the, and the media picks that up. But the list of his uh, lies are, is growing, and um, it's pretty disturbing. Uh, it can be very dangerous. And, of course, the reason nobody talks about it um, because the alternative is uh, Kamala Harris. So, Who, by the way, just had another one of her, um, her uh, aides depart. That we found that out this morning. Uh, the 11th such departure from her office. <laughs> Uh, since, yeah. you know, just, just in the 14 months, uh, since inauguration, she's ha already had 11 of her, uh, 11 of her staffers leave. And this was the deputy chief of t chief of staff. And this is not too long after the actual chief of staff had already departed. Uh, Paul Fuchs is the latest to, to, to flee the, uh, Kamala Harris office in a hot air balloon <laughs> <laughs> over the Biden wall. Yeah, um, I guess she's rather unpleasant to work for. At least that's the reports. Well, I mean, okay, so maybe she's unpleasant to work for, and that certainly could be the case. I mean, that's that's uh, absolutely the, the case. But I mean, I think that this goes beyond this. I think that this is um, this looks like a, a, an office where people are in despair over the performance of the occupant itself. I mean, I've worked for unpleasant bosses. If you're doing work that you want to do. You know, unless they're unless they're really actively trying to make your life miserable, you just grin and bear it and say, "Hey, look." I mean, especially in the rough and tumble world of of Washington politics, these are you know people who are trying to, you know, eventually make it in, onto somebody's cabinet, right? I mean, that's what that's how you start off in these things. Eventually, you want to make it into somebody's cabinet. So to walk away from that job, uh, <laughs> it, I mean, that's actually yeah. something to walk away yeah, from that job absolutely absolutely um and all the reports are that she uh does n never prepares and it shows i mean uh i don't know if you saw i don't have the quote in front of me but when she visited greenville she said greenville is a place that's a, a very historic place that's full of american history Yes, the, the, the Mississippi town. I, I saw that. Yes, it's it's sort of like the time passages thing, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. this is, I mean, I think the issue here, and one of the reasons why her staff must be going absolutely insane, is this is a woman who just doesn't prepare for these exactly. events. Exactly. She's yeah. trying to wing it. And every time she tries to wing it, she ends up with this sort of word salad thing. I mean, every single time. Every time. Every single time, right? I mean, you can, you know, people spent four years making fun of Dan Quayle on the basis of one really bad moment. I mean, let's, let's not under, let's not undersell them on one really bad moment in that vice presidential debate. Um, and they spent four years ridiculing him over that, even though Dan Quayle is maybe sometimes not the most extemporaneous of guys, but he's pretty smart, right? He's not, he's not an idiot. No, he's not. And uh, I know a story. Um, I don't know if we have time to tell it, but, sure. uh, you know, that that infamous potato. Yes. Uh, and on the misspelling, um, I uh, came to know in my days in politics, uh, one of the advanced men who worked that event. And um, that card misspelled the word potato. Quail was asked when he came in, he was asked if this was not in the plan. The advanced men go through these things meticulously. It was not in the plan, but the teacher asked him if he'd do in a spelling bee and hold the card up. And to this day, they've never decided whether this was a trick or if the teacher was dumb and the one who misspelled the word. Anyway, she asked him to hold it up. He held it up. It was misspelled potato. Uh, and he looked like an idiot. 
and he told his staff that day, Quayle did, that if anybody told that story uh, and tried to excuse the event, uh, they would be immediately fired because he didn't want it to look, I mean, this was a black woman in an inner city New Orleans school and he didn't want it to come back on her. So there's a little bit of honor in that moment, but of course, right. most most of the world doesn't know it. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, that job requires preparation. Now, having said that, there are guys in the big leagues of politics who enjoy, actually revel in walking the tightrope. Can they do this? Can they wing it? Not every time, but now and then. And can they turn a hostile audience around to them? I've worked for those guys, and they actually enjoy it. Give me the creeps. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, they really enjoyed seeing the, the, head, the heads in the audience start to nod as he turned these hostile people around. But never go unprepared. I mean, they always asked me what was going to happen here. What did we know about the crowd? And uh, uh, so that they could, um, well, they had instincts about playing to crowds. And that's why they kept getting elected. So, uh, but she doesn't. Uh, she's not got an ear. She's a tone deaf ear. And uh, apparently is he too lazy or not smart enough to figure out that she looks really as dumb as she sounds. Well, yeah. I mean, that's and that's part of the problem, right? I mean, we're going to get into some media bias here in just a second. I, I want to raise this because, first off, you raised the media bias point with Joe Biden in your uh, weekly commentary over at, yeah. uh, over at Red State. Where's the outrage? Which... Um, you sh everybody should be listening to, by the way, go over there and download it. It's his fifth episode. Um, but we also, I mean, we can put that in terms of Kamala Harris, too. Where's the outrage? We had four years of constant ridicule of Dan Quayle for much less, on much less uh, material than what we're seeing right now. And not only is, I mean, it's not only that uh, people aren't, I mean, you're not seeing much criticism of her in the mainstream media. Which is oh. one issue, which really is an issue. But, I mean, you know, Dan Quayle was the butt of jokes. To this day, he's still the punchline of jokes, right? People people yeah. still tell, you know, if you say Dan Quayle, it's a, it's a people will know that it's meant as sort of like this, you know, uh, embodiment Mock. of the Peter Principle. It's mocking. Yeah. It's going to be a mocking yeah. reference. Nobody yeah. nobody in, in, in the cultural media, you know, the Saturday Night Lives, you know, the the stand-up comics, that sort of thing. Nobody's going after Kamala Harris. In fact, uh, we had we actually this is this just came up today. I don't know if you've been following this on Twitter, but you know, uh, Larry O'Connor, our friend, uh, who's kind of been in and out of the town hall group at different times, is a really good friend. Um, has the morning show on WMAL. I think it's still the morning show that he has on WMAL in Washington D.C. And he had Amber Athey as one of his co-hosts. It's sort of a rotating panel of co-hosts from uh, conservative media and she made a joke at the state of the union address because Kamala Harris was dressed in all brown and people were making jokes about Hershey bars and stuff like that and she made a UPS joke saying what has brown done for you lately <laughs> and she got kicked off of WMAL because they said it sounded racist <laughs> it sounded racist and <laughs> I mean honestly I probably wouldn't have made that joke just because I don't think anybody would have gotten it but <laughs> I mean, I, the message here is from a, I'll, I'll say it's a different radio network. It's not, it's not Salem. So I don't want to get too far into the weeds on, on that issue. But I mean, the message here is basically thou shalt not, right? Well, I mean, that, yeah. And that's why, that's why you don't hear uh, people making fun of her. She has um, a Kevlar vest of, uh, of being at least part black and uh having been with a jamaica immigrant background of her parents a parent right. and um uh, so which is which is really i mean it's an interesting background i mean it's not it's it is. not no, it's, it's not fine. something that it, yeah there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it but just as this example points out <clears throat> anything having to do with color people are oversensitive to it and right. boom 
and boom, you're out. So uh, they err on the, on the, if anyone is tempted to mock her for her um, blatant stupidity in public remarks, uh, such incidents as this give them pause. Yep. Yep. And, and I guess it should. I mean, this is, and I got to say, I mean, I, I wouldn't have necessarily said this about Cumulus, right? Because uh, Cumulus has a number of conservative hosts, and so I wouldn't have thought this about them. But, you know, people talk about, well, you know, conservative media uh, contributors. You know, if, for instance, you and I are contributors. We, we write for conservative yep. media outlets, that sort of thing, right? I'm doing podcasts for that sort of thing. You know, the they 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 should they should break out into the mainstream media and diversify the problem with that is that when you try to do that you end up basically getting thrown out i mean this goes back to the kevin williamson thing at the atlantic when when they hired kevin williamson and uh jeffrey goldberg immediately uh turned and ran tail when um when people started uh going through kevin williams's tweets and, and and it's sort of like Amber Athy, right? Going through the tweets and finding something that was, you know, uh, somehow untoward, and getting him fired from the gig. Now this is now he ended up getting rehired by National Review, which is you know, kind of no 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 harm no foul. He didn't actually end up out of out of work for very long, but he left National Review on the basis of a promise that he was going to get a fair shake from the Atlantic, and it just. Oh, yeah. it, it leads you to ask: Can a conservative voice get a fair shake at, uh, on on media outlets? I doubt it. Um, you have to be very, very careful. Um, you saw what happened to a liberal editorial page editor at the New York Times when he ran a conservative commentary from Senator Cotton right. about about troops during the urban <clears throat> uprisings that were not violent, we should say, right, Ed? Right, yes. Uh, mostly peaceful. <laughs> mostly peaceful urban conflagrations. Um, so, you know, if it can happen to, to liberals because the woke crowd rises up within the institution, boy, that's dangerous. I, w I, I couldn't, in, in all good conscience, uh, advise any young people to go into that business now. I just couldn't do it. I enjoyed it. I had wonderful subsidized tourism around the world. I learned so many things, met so many fascinating people. Um, and, uh, uh, but I, I, it, it wouldn't work now in the current media world. Things have changed so drastically. Yeah, no, I, 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 I completely agree. I mean, this is part of uh, again, it's 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 part of a it's a media bias of a different kind, right? It's just a different form of media bias, which is yeah. to to restrict the voices that are out there. And and look, I mean, I, I, I'm going to say I, I firmly believe in the principle of at will employment, right? I mean, if you want a contract, sign a contract. Um, but under normal circumstances, even a lot of contractual employment is really at will. And if somebody's voice doesn't suit an outlet, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But don't hire them in the first place for that voice and then decide that they're not worth defending when people start nitpicking, you know, stupid jokes they made on social media. I mean, there, there's just a oh. certain moral cowardice about that. Um, and, and I think that that's what's going on here with uh, Cumulus, too. Hopefully they're going to reconsider it. In fairness, I must point out that um, I was asked on the Los Angeles Times, which is a liberal icon, to start a conservative political blog in 2007. Top of the ticket. It was awesome. That's right. That's right. And we did. And that's how I came to meet you and so many other wonderful people in the blogosphere. Um, and understandably, the liberal readers, well, we had, we had wonderful uh, numbers you know, in the millions, uh, which was multiples greater than any blog experience they'd ever had before, even in sports. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but as you might imagine, there were whatever the, the woke crowd would have been called in those days. There were those who objected regularly, uh, media matters and others. And I learned after I left 
that um, my top two editors, um, at, at including the, the the editor of the Los Angeles Times, would just trash would just trash the complaints, and uh, they would always ask complainers, uh, "Was it accurate?" And it always was, <laughs> and so they said, "Well, fair commentary." So uh, now this is what back well what 15 years ago so uh i guess things might have changed but uh i gotta tell you uh in those days they had my back and i didn't even know it so that that was uh it's not all bad or it wasn't no no and that's the way that's the way it really should be handled right i mean yes, that's yeah. right exactly exactly was it was it correct yeah so uh, <laughs> there was one meeting i was told where they came in and and the editor said well um wh where's the mistake where's the error and they said well it's not a mistake but he's interpreting this and he's saying this about uh, obama and so on and they and he said well <laughs> if it's not in error this meeting is over <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. uh yeah and that's the way it should be it isn't yeah. always anymore i guess sadly it isn't and that kind of brings me to um to this week's uh big media bias story, which is the belated discovery by the Washington Post, the New York Times, and others <laughs> that, my God, that was really Hunter Biden's laptop. Those were really Isn't Hunter Biden's emails. <laughs> the, Amazing. The Washington Post today, uh, either today or yesterday, had a uh, editorial, yesterday, published an editorial that was saying that, you know what? We, we probably, this is probably a good opportunity for a reckoning with editorial bias in, in the mainstream media. Um, you think? <laughs> yeah, do you think? Well, you know, I guess it's too late to prevent the damage they caused, which was the election of Joe Biden. But uh, I guess it's better that they come clean now. But uh, still... It, what an egregious thing. And I don't think they've learned their lesson. Uh, I mean, Chuck Todd yesterday on Meet the Press, he had Hillary Clinton on and he didn't ask her about the Steele dossier. Not one question. Right. Yeah. Not, not one. How can you do that? Uh, I mean, even Stephanopoulos asked somebody uh, uh, an awkward question, but not, not Chuck Todd. And I had respect for him. Well, you know, same goes for the newspaper that has democracy dies in darkness at the top of its banner. I mean, <laughs> nothing, nothing like uh, nothing like a little uh, uh, hyperbole there, uh, hypocritical hyperbole at that. Uh, this is what it says. For now, what's more, what's more compelling than the asserted accusations about Biden's behavior is this question. Why is confirmation of a story that first surfaced in the fall of 2020 emerging only now? Well, it didn't emerge only now. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, first off, that's the that's the first problem with this. It didn't emerge only now. It was actually confirmed within a couple of weeks of the New York Post's initial publication. You had people who were participating in those email exchanges um, who were going coming forward, holding press conferences, saying, "Yes, that was the email chain that I saw. That's legit." They had, um, I think, the Washington Examiner had um, the New York Post certainly did, but the Washington Examiner, a couple other media outlets. Um, had people go through the, um, you know, the headers of the emails and verifying it with the, um, uh, with the, uh, the crypto that, that goes along, you know, just the normal, normal crypto that goes into, um, emails, uh, email sending and, and confirming that these were legit, that this, that this was the, the real deal. So it isn't confirmation emerging only now the problem is that the washington post didn't report on the confirmation that was oh, yeah. emerging at the time um now they do sort of scold twitter and facebook for for blocking the story and 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 trying to interfere with its dissemination um and then turn around and excuse it by saying yet yeah, yet there was reason in this case for reluctance on the part of the publications and the platforms alike both had been the unwitting tools of a Russian influence campaign in 2016. It was only prudent to su suspect a similar plot lay behind the mysterious appearance of a computer stuffed with juicy documents and conveniently handed over to President Donald Trump's toxic personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. Um, and that's the reason why you ask people to take a look at it, <laughs> to see yeah, whether right. it's on the level. I mean, 
why wait two years or just under two years? Why wait yeah. 17 months, 18 months to actually have an expert take a look at the data? Or, because you want something to happen in the interim, and it did. Right. Because yeah. they didn't want to report on this story. They didn't want yeah. to report on uh, Biden family corruption, which is what this is. I mean, uh, the, and the reason why we're, we're even talking about this now is because the New York Times found out that the Department of Justice has been taking this seriously all along, and it looks like they're going to a grand jury on Hunter Biden. Which so, is the reason the media figured they were going to come clean before they got come cleaned. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So they're about ready. They're about ready to 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 get dunked on, and they're trying to preempt the dunking. Of course, the New York Post is having a field day with this oh, <laughs> last week so. or so. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, this is what competition is supposed to be. Right. Uh, uh, and this prompt should prompt them to be more vigilant um, watchdogs, which is why they have these special constitutional protections. Right. Um, but uh, they only bark on one side. They don't bark at the other side. And that's a real problem. So if I make a gray lady joke at this point in time, would WMAL fire me for being uh, sexist? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> well, I'm not on WMAL, so the, <laughs> I guess, you I, know, I guess I'm was, safe. There was a joke uh, that I just loved, and I won't bore everybody with the details, but I'm talking about the personalities of different media and they said that God announced that he was going to bring it into the world. And uh, uh, the New York Times headline was God announces into world women in blacks hardest hit. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> Classic. Speaking of jokes, by the way, we're, we're just about at that time, Andrew. I, okay. I know I know I'm out of practice, but I consist I can still segue. You can still laugh. Yeah, you can still segue. You better. Um, so these are all uh, replays. Uh, Jimmy Fallon said March Madness is underway. When Joe Biden was asked about his Sweet Sixteen, he said it was great. I had a petting zoo and a clown. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Um, Conan O'Brien said Allegiant Airlines is now charging $35 extra for carry-on bags, while JetBlue is charging $35 extra if you want a pilot who isn't insane. <laughs> <laughs> I'd pay it. I'd pay it, yeah, too. I'd pay it. Yeah, right. And uh, finally, uh, Jimmy Fallon said... Um, uh, a new survey says 55% of men expect to pay on the first date, while the other 45% have never been on a second date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a story out today, NBC, it's, it's probably a fascinating story, it's not political at all, um, about how this guy was involved in a cryptocurrency scam and apparently involving a fake online girlfriend and lost close to $300,000. It cost him, this fake girlfriend cost him $300,000. And I'm wow. thinking to myself, you know, a real one might have cost you more. <laughs> <laughs> but but I digress. Now, that one would get me fired from WMAL, I'm, I'm pretty sure. So, all right. Now, of course, Andrew's here every week, at least the weeks that I'm here. Andrew is here every week giving us these pearls of delight. Andrew Malcolm is the prince of Twitter at A.H. Malcolm on the Twitters. Is, he's the regent of Red State, redstate.com. Go check that out. Andrew, thanks so much for being with us today. You bet. And by the way, I've told management, if you're not here, I'm not here. Well, there you go. I appreciate yeah. that. That's thanks, everybody. There. See you next week. See you next week. And folks, stay tuned for a little bit more from the Ed Morrissey Show coming right up. This is Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com for Town Hall. At the start of his invasion of Ukraine, Vladimir Putin claimed that Russia only wanted to liberate Ukrainians from a clique of alleged Nazis. Now a new declaration in state-owned media outlet RIA Novosti has made clear that Putin seeks to erase Ukraine and the ethnic Ukrainian identity. 
First, all forms of national defense should be destroyed, including Ukraine's standing army and its home guard valiantly defending Ukrainian sovereignty. Russia would demand a complete purification of all such elements as a basic conclusion to hostilities. Even more chillingly, the plan calls for Russia to treat a significant part of the masses as accomplices of Nazism and legitimate targets of war. Denazification will inevitably also be a de-Ukrainization, the declaration says, that eliminates any national or ethnic identity except Russian in Little Russia. And that process will take no less than one generation, according to Putin's outlet. This is nothing less than the obliteration of a proud people and a defense of the horrid war crimes already coming to light. The world must take notice and deliver harsh consequences for Putin's revanchist fascism. I'm Ed Morrissey. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show, the podcast edition. Joining me right now, Tom Fitton, who is a, uh, a, a tireless advocate uh, for Judicial Watch, judicialwatch.org. Man's been doing it for a very long time, uh, speaking truth to power in a way that, you know, most journalists probably uh, coil at. And uh, Tom is here to talk about the latest success at judicialwatch.org, which is uh, defeating this California law that requires, um, really, I mean, requires quotas on corporate boards, doesn't it, Tom? Is not really what this law is about? Yeah, I really don't know how else to describe it. It was a it was a quota regime set out by the California legislature. They kind of they knew it was going to be constitutionally suspect. There was there were warnings within the you know the official reporting and, and advice within the I, know, I think the California State Senate that requiring uh, there be certain numbers of minority candidates on board or uh, minority individuals on boards. Um, is obviously at odds with the Constitution, specifically the California State Constitution. So this is the way it works. You're you're a publicly traded company. Uh, you're in California, and your boards of a certain size. Then the quotas start uh, 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 being triggered, and you're required to have a certain number. I think up to three of uh, candidates who are identified as a certain category of minority, ethnicity, or LGBT status. And the nice thing about California in terms of its liberalism is they have a very liberal um, uh, understanding of who can challenge illegal laws, which means taxpayers can. Right. So taxpayers can challenge a law that uh, results in the illegal expen uh, the expenditure of taxpayer funds for illegal purposes. And uh, this is just uh, a naked uh, discrimination and a quota regime that's barred by California state law and the Constitution. So we went to court over it. And, you know, what had happened was initially they passed a law requiring a gender quota, and then they expanded it with a second law that required these additional quotas. Now, we're already in court on the gender quota. That hasn't been decided yet. We had a, a weeks-long trial on it. Our lawyers were there. Uh, but this judge thought there wasn't enough to go to trial. It was simple enough. He could rule. And he granted us uh, what they call summary judgment, uh, which means that you know, we proved our case without having to go to trial based on the uncontested facts that are out there. And he applied the law and we won. You know, it's interesting. Um, I almost I'm old enough to be able to make this reference. I'm, I don't think that maybe you're I think you're a little younger than I am, but it almost requires a James Watt declaration. Right. I mean, the laws. Oh, well, we've got, you know, uh, what was it that James Watt said? Oh, yeah, we're diverse. We've got a black, a woman, two cripples and a Jew. Um, when he was asked about the Department of Interior's uh, commission on something, he ended up getting fired over it, right? I don't, I don't know if you recall that, but it's almost... I, it's, I do it's, remember that, yeah. It's almost as bad, right? And you'd have to have this declaration where you'd have to pigeonhole everybody who's on your board uh, into certain categories in order to operate in California. Well, in the court during the hearing, if I recall correctly, he was like, well, why are, why are there certain categories that are covered here of people, but not others? You know, if you're from Portugal... You're not Hispanic, but if you're from Spain, you're Hispanic. Uh, and he also highlighted in his written decision uh, that you could um, be okay with this quota law if you had three white LGBT individuals on the board. So they didn't have to be minority, so they could, you know, so it would, it, it, you know, obviously the absurdities result from the pernicious activity of selecting people based on race. And what I liked about the way the court approached this was, look, you know, they want to treat people 
uh, based on their membership as groups. The law requires they treat people based on individual, uh, based on their uh, individual rights and freedoms, and they need to be equally protected under the law here, and that's not the case. You know, the irony here is, and, and many people don't understand this, is that the government can discriminate sometimes on the basis of race. And the way they get around that is by saying, oh, there's a compelling government interest. And the court couldn't find any compelling government interest. Uh, there's no, you know, general societal discrimination, which everyone argues about, isn't compelling. And uh, so the government came around and said, well, it's in the best interest of the business. We'll get more taxes as a result. And the judge says, no, I don't think so. Well, so, uh, you, you know, if someone's discriminated against on the basis of race, they can go to court and, you know, get hired, you know, as a part as part of the remedy. But the idea that there's general discrimination and therefore we need a quota regime is at odds with decades of anti-discrimination law. Right. And, and look, I mean, I think that you have to pick your you, know, you have to pick your poison. Either you're going to discriminate or you're not going to discriminate. And uh, the idea that you can do this selectively and and continually uh, on behalf of favored groups is how we got in this position in the first place. I mean, I mean that's the same kind of thinking that that created the inequities that people are are citing in order to justify more discrimination. I mean, it's uh, at a certain point you have to decide whether or not you're really for really against discrimination or not. And uh, look, I mean, I think that there's other pressures that people put on corporate boards to have, you know, uh, diverse representation, if you will. Uh, those are usually, you know, private sector, voluntary pressures, you know, not, you know, not investing in companies that that don't model this, not not um, patronizing companies that, that don't model this. Those are fine. I mean, those are personal choices. But when government does this time, when government puts itself in the role of actively discriminating on the basis of gender, on the basis of race, on the basis of sexual orientation in order to have access to that marketplace. I mean, that's where Judicial Watch gets involved, right? Right. And, and you know, you're presuming all of that is easily categorized. Because right. then you run into the new modern interpretation of this where one can self-identify as any of those categories, including gender. So, you know, it's it, to me, uh, this is kind of a broader question. You know, the left has always been pushing affirmative actions. They pushed too far on race quotas. They were brushed back. And you highlighted the kind of the workarounds that I don't even think are appropriate uh, to, uh, to uh, basically put people based on color in certain positions as opposed to based on background. And, uh, but the left has decided, the radical extremist left, and I, and I this is like, this is critical theory as applied, uh, that these anti-discrimination statutes, the Constitution of the United States that guarantees us equal protection under the law, you know, that old, that, that 14th Amendment, right? Right. And of course, California has even a broader um, uh, protection beyond the federal Constitution in terms of prohibiting that type of uh, discriminatory conduct. They don't think that should apply anymore in in uh, in in advocating for the uh, for these quota systems and treating people according to their race as opposed to uh, uh, what the law requires as citizens well right exactly and, and again as citizens we're all supposed to be equal and and again I, I I think that when we're looking at this you're you're saying it's the left and I agree that the left is driving this but I would argue that this has been sort of um the environment in which the in which the broader culture has been immersed to the point where this type of blatant discrimination has become more de rigueur um especially the last couple of decades and we're to the point where you're starting to see you know, like resegregation on campuses right I mean you see uh, graduation ceremonies that are, you know, for one particular race or one particular ethnic group, uh, which <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not quite old enough to remember uh, school segregation because that was more or less broken up about the time I was I was born. Um, but it certainly has resonance to that. I mean, it's it's almost like a reversion, just with different motives, and I'm not maybe not even all that different. Yeah, I mean, there's always been this racialist bent, uh, and and some of it, you know, I would presume was in good faith because they saw there's this record of discrimination for right. decades. Yeah, I agree with country. that. 
And so the thinking was, well, you know, let's bend over backwards to be sure that people who have been previously discriminated against or likely to have been discriminated against on the basis of race, uh, uh, you know, that we were reaching out to them. You know, that's kind of the, the best uh, charitable, most, most charitable interpretation of, of these affirmative action programs. But and I agree with that. I, I, and I agree with that. Uh, this, this is kind of this is naked discrimination yep. that sets a slot aside on a corporate board that um, is uh, that no person of not of a particular minority class or other category, suspect category, as the lawyers call it, uh, can apply. And uh, this is a radical change. Uh, and, and, you know, we've as conservatives, we've always criticized the left for not being as concerned about discrimination as they pretend to be. Well, the veil's been lifted. Yeah. They don't believe their anti-discrimination laws should apply to entire categories of United States citizens in this country. Right. Right. And, and again, I, I actually uh, I actually adhere to the more charitable interpretation of affirmative action. I think it was misguided, but I think that there was. Um, misguided as applied, but I think the in, I think there was good intent from at least most of the people that were behind that. Um, but they chose the wrong mechanism, and it's even the Supreme Court was asking. I think was this about ten years ago? John Roberts raised the question in in a case where they where they sort of allowed it to continue, but they said we're coming to the point now where <laughs> you know we're we're eventually going to have to address the unconstitutionality of these programs. Um, these were supposed to be time-limited remedies, and we're running on 60 years here with these things. Um, so, well, well, Justice O'Connor said that many years ago. I think it was probably longer than 25 years ago that, you know, well, maybe only another 25 years or so. And right. I rarely quote the Chief Justice. Uh, <laughs> I wonder why. But, uh, I, I can't do better than his, his uh, observation that the best way to end racial discrimination is to stop discriminating on the basis of race exactly yeah that was the comment i was thinking about and and you're absolutely right again we're speaking with tom fitton of judicialwatch.org which you should have on your on your short list of websites to go to for uh for uh, activism for for the legal fights that uh, conservatives are going to be interested in this among them i mean this is really an interesting one now you, you the one that had to do with sort of the non-gender categories you won that on summary judgment you didn't win the one. Well, I don't want to say you didn't win it, but you didn't get a summary judgment on the on the uh, on the lawsuit based on the gender quota. You went to a weeks long trial. You, you mentioned in the beginning. I, I want to ask you: uh, Did you expect to win a, a summary judgment in the same manner on that lawsuit, or do you think that the, that particular case has nuances that the other one doesn't? You know, it depends on the court. You know, some judges don't like to end a case without hearing all the evidence right? right yeah and so they're cautious in that regard and they think both sides should be able to present their best case before making a decision other judges kind of see the writing on the wall uh and and this court saw this as a much more a, a less complex issue that didn't require a trial for him to adjudicate and come to a verdict over uh look you know what's the what's the argument here uh, here they were, you know, the California's argument was based on because it was taxpayer standing. Well, we're not enforcing the law. So no harm, no foul, even though they were actually enforcing it by uh, uh, hi highlighting uh, and requiring companies to report to them. Right. On this uh, on this quota experiment. And, you know, and this is a great victory, to be clear, because to me, it was one of the most significant attacks on our anti-discrimination laws. But it, it's it's still pernicious. It's still, you know, NASDAQ, for instance, has had a rule blessed by the Securities Exchange Commission that essentially requires companies to report uh, diversity data. And we all know where that leads, right? It leads, you know, to two quotas. You know, and the irony is it may lead to less diversity because some folks may be hesitant to kind of go full bore on it and don't want to get the negative feedback blowback of of uh from others who say well what what do you do why are you hiring all these people based on race as opposed to uh, uh, uh you know uh, doing things according to what your fiduciary duties require you to do which is to pick people based on their uh expertise and what they'll bring to the board as individuals not based on the color of their skin or other immutable 
characteristics or what used to be immutable characteristics. Right. And, and see, my my uh, my observation on anything, uh, all arguments based on immutable characteristics is that they're complete dead ends because you can't change immutable characteristics, right? I mean, so if you're basing laws on immutable characteristics, they're dead ends. Um, uh, if you're basing your political arguments based on immutable characteristics, uh, i.e., uh, immutable characteristic identity matters more than um, than equality. Just to to make it simple, those those arguments are doomed to failure, and they're also doomed to division because immutable characteristics are immutable. A equals a in this case, and if if you're going to divide people on the basis of immutable characteristics, you are never ever 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 going to get them unified on anything else. It's never going to happen because you've made that the, uh, you know, uh, you, you've made that the ultimate criterion and there's, there's simply no moving around that. And so that's the reason why when you have laws that are based on, on, on that type of thing, it, it becomes so destructive to a uh, to the body politic and i think that that's something else when we're looking at these laws it's, it's certainly that may not be necessarily the constitutional question here tom but it certainly is the political question that we're discussing well it is unfortunately the constitutional question because you have well, yeah. now to you know the courts have ratified in a certain respect some discrimination on college campuses for diversity purposes right Right. That, that, you know, based, you know, that this it's a plus factor. And now they're they could be reconsidering that this term. They've taken, I think, two cases up. We I know we filed some amicus briefs on um, about these racial classifications in, in college admissions programs. And, it, you know, I keep on using the word pernicious. And uh, and then of course, you know, I'm reading a little bit about the law and that's to what the law talks about. That's right. the way the law talks about this. If you're going to be doing this, you know, be warned, it is pernicious. And we can, we have to avoid it at all costs or wherever we can. And uh, the only time, practically speaking, a government can say, you get this job because of this race, because of your race, is because you were declined that job because of the, your race. And you're getting your, you know, this is the remediation. This is what you get. Uh because you know you've been deprived of something based on your race, and now you're going to be made whole, and you're going to get the job. But the, you know that's a very different matter than saying no other person can apply for this job because we have general concerns about diversity. It's, oh, you know, and it's, and to me, um, I, I really do think it's a thing of the left. Now, you know, just because corporations sign on to it doesn't mean it's not a creature of the left. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, in, in California, <laughs> I'm not aware of one public company who's challenged this law. Uh, there's a group of companies, there's an association that's challenging it, but, you know, it's they're they're talking for corporations, not one specifically. Um, we just did this alone. So, you know, the companies know uh, they've been frightened from confronting uh, this racialism uh, that's being enforced uh, through the through, you know, that was attempted to be enforced, at least through the states. But, you know, as you're pointing out, there's this big political push and cultural push to engage in race-based decision-making in hiring. And, uh, you know, either we're against it or we're for it, okay? Right. Don't say you can't discriminate on the basis of race while encouraging everyone to do that. Right. It doesn't, you know. Yeah, I mean, again, I'll, I'll, then all we're talking about is uh, we're, we're picking our favorite outcomes from, from that process when we really should be allowing those outcomes to settle themselves. And, and again, I, I would say that when you're coming out of the civil rights movement, recognizing that there have been decades, if not centuries of oppression, which have put people in a disadvantaged position as a whole, as a group, um, specifically with, uh, with blacks, African-Americans, then I, I think, yeah, I mean, you probably are going to look at a solution that would reduce those inequities. I, I, again, and I would say that the issue there was more education and, uh, than, than it was employment. I wasn't, of course, I was, you know, five years old at the time. So I, 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 I'm only looking at that in retrospect. So getting back to the good intentions, yes, I understand the good intentions. But the, the, the structure that you create is a, is a perpetuating, a self-perpetuating structure. By almost by definition, you will never cross a finish line as long as you have people who are um, 
arguing for grievances based on 60 years ago um, or 50 years ago. And well, this is this is the critical theory side of it, though. Right. I mean, exactly. that's that's, you know, Marxist. You never cross the finish line for the communist left. Right. You always have to be tearing society down and reimagining and rethinking and not allowing any of, you know, anything other than uh, government mandated um, or, you know, in a totalitarian way, uh, delineations to define how you think about your lives. And in this case, they want to rip you apart from your society by saying in either based on your color, you're either permanently victimized or permanently the oppressor. Right. And if 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 that isn't communism, you know, that's what Pol Pot did. That's what they did with the kulaks in 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 Soviet era Russia. And uh, these are this is a dangerous, dangerous path uh, for us to to pretend that's not what they're trying to do using race to repackage their totalitarian political philosophy. Exactly. It's class warfare. It's just class warfare dressed up as something else. So you're getting right back to Lenin and Marx. You're getting right back to Engels. <laughs> it's class warfare um, that demands top-down solutions um, that never work. And um, we can get to Hayek. We can get all sorts of things. But actually, right. what I'd like to get into is Judicial Watch. I, I want people to know a little bit more about Judicial Watch, what it is that you're doing, Tom, how long you've been doing it, too. I, th I think people need to know how long you've been on the front lines of oh, things Lord. like this. Yeah. <laughs> I see. I, I see that look on my, your face. This is my 24th year at Judicial Watch. And, and we're an anti-corruption anti watchdog group. We use the laws that are available to us as God-fearing Americans to hold our government to account. We're famous for using the Freedom of Information Act yep. to find out what the government's up to. And because we come from the conservative side of the aisle, we pretty much think everything the government's up to should be questioned and suspect. Uh, so we ask all sorts of questions. The media, even when they do ask, they want to follow up on. And then, of course, you know, you have government misconduct that's outright, like in California, where you've got the challenge uh, uh, to uh, the equal protection uh, core American value that we all have. You know, there are other big issues. We've got this immigration crisis. We have this, uh, this assault on the rule of law with respect to our elections, where you know, the left has decided they don't really like elections anymore. They don't like campaigns. So let's just turn it into months long polling that takes place over <laughs> three or four months. And, you know, it's counted over weeks. And then we'll tell you what the results are from voters that we really can't point to because we mail ballots blindly to them. You know, right. that's that's one way to destroy our election system. And I can't think of anything more important we could do. Or I could think a few things more important we'd be doing than trying to protect our election integrity in that regard. And then, um, you know, we're very interested in this January 6th abuse. We're very interested in the COVID abuses. It's like, you know, whatever nugget of truth the left thinks they have, it's usually a, a means to distract from what their agenda is. Oh, there was violence on January 6th. So let's use it as an excuse to try to uh, uh, suggest that tens of millions of Americans who want voter ID or terrorists? Oh, uh, we have a we have a, a dangerous, potentially dangerous uh, uh, disease out there. You know tra that's transmissible. Well, let's use that as an excuse to assert government jurisdiction over your personal life that uh, we would never have considered before in Western society anywhere. Right. You know this is this is you know. Uh, and our Republican, you know, Ed, I don't know how you've been thinking about things recently. I, I think our Republic's under assault. And, you know, the way I compare it to, it's not as not as violent as that time, but the late 60s in France. I mean, we have a yes. rising communism threat in this country, affiliated with one particular party, but with many fellow travelers in the other party. And, um, and, and they don't think the Constitution is something that should get in their way. And that's why they're willing to blow up the 14th Amendment, blow up the First Amendment, attack the institutions. They blew up the Senate with Kavanaugh. They're blowing up the House with January 6th, trying to suggest hundreds of members should be uh, uh, should not be able to run for office because they raised objections under law to the election. This is, uh, and then of course, there's the attack on the Supreme Court where you had the President of the United States getting back to how we got into this conversation 
admittedly engaging in race and sex discrimination, telling people who, you know, telling a black male, well, we're not going to consider you. Telling an Indian male, one of the top judges in the court here in D.C., in the circuit court, well, we're not going to consider you. We're just going to consider race and sex and selecting a member of the Supreme Court of the United States. And I'm not aware of that happening ever in the modern era where well, those issues have been front and center. You know, yeah, members yeah. of the presidents, presidents have thought, well, I want to appoint a woman. But they didn't, well, you know, they didn't exclude others from consideration in that process. Not formally anyway. Yeah. I mean, they didn't they didn't say nobody else. We're not going to consider anybody else. Uh, you're, you're that's, right. that's what happened here. And to me, that was enough to me to, you know, to oppose her. But Republicans were planning to lose. So they didn't want to talk about that. Well, Tom, I, I would I would raise your 1968 Paris um, reference, and and I, I I'd, I'd see it, and I'd raise you uh, the French Revolution because I think what we're actually <laughs> there you go. People are going to be watching this, going, "What are you guys doing?" Uh, no, I, but I really have a point here. I think what we're seeing, here, you know, all 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 um, observances to the contrary, I have a point here. I think what we're really seeing here is an assault on truth. And I think we see this in terms of, you know, Katanji Brown Jackson saying that she can't define what a woman is in, in the middle of this uh, Supreme Court confirmation hearing uh, where you have, uh, you know, men can have periods and all this kind of stuff. I mean, just nonsense, just especially after two years of saying you have to follow the science. right? <laughs> but we're going to ignore biology. For some reason, that's one science that we are required to ignore. I actually think what we're what we're seeing here is an assault on truth, and an assault on truth undermines ideas like liberty and individual choice, um, and it requires, if you will, a society that is organized around uh, star chambers uh, in order to dictate what the truth of the day is. And I think that a lot of people read 1984 and didn't either didn't get it or thought it was a planning, uh, a planning exercise. Right, right. It, I mean, that's, I think that's really the fundamental problem that we're facing right now as a republic. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, the problem in America, you know, there's always been people of the left and others who've assaulted truth, right, yeah. in, the, in a spiritual sense. And, and, and politicians and, in both parties, right? <laughs> right, in the, pra in the practical sense, in the spiritual sense. You know, but it used to be in America, our elites protected truth, right? Yep. yep. The elites were were in were in sync with the American way. Now there's a good portion of our the, the elites that are in cultural and political control right now, and just because Republicans win doesn't mean they're in political or cultural control. Right. Uh, they reject the American way. They uh, reject American exceptionalism, which is truth centered. And um, I mean, when you talk, when you see uh, Joe Biden. You know, one of the uh, he was one of the worst senators in the Senate in terms of quality. Agreed. Um, you know, just start echoing these radical Marxist terms. You know, when you highlight a, a Supreme Court nominee, I mean, what she said when I can't define a woman to me that that was communism. Right. right. Uh, that that's that's the that's the Marxist analysis being applied to gender discussions. And 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 she knew exactly what to say. Uh, so uh, there's this radicalism that is creeping. I wouldn't say it, maybe it's worse than creeping as we're talking about. And so you know, but on the other hand, look, all we can do is what you can do, right? So we saw it was happening in California, one of the worst states in the land when it comes to public policy, and we went to court and we got a little bit of justice. Yep. And okay. so you, you know, you just can't just. Uh, and that's what I love about Judicial Watch is. Uh, I love talking about all of this, right? But it's like, what is it we can do, right? What is it we can do to preserve our way of life and the rule of law and educate Americans about what's going on? And I think filing lawsuits are a pretty good way to educate people. I think so too. I think it's great. And also another great way to educate people is to send them to judicialwatch.org, by the way, where you can support these efforts. You can donate to judicialwatch.org. Uh, Tom's been doing this for 24 years. And uh, still going, <laughs> he's smiling again, but he's been doing it for 24 <laughs> years. 
but he's been doing it with the help of a lot of people who have been That's right. contributing. And, uh, and and Tom would be the first one to tell you that. You can be a part of that as well. Go to judicialwatch.org. And we got to get Tom on here more often to talk about some of these fun cases because I, I enjoy I enjoy having these conversations. The next time we'll we'll bring up the um, I don't know we'll bring up the Treaty of Westphalia or something and make it relate to this. <laughs> well, your listeners and your viewers should understand. It's a long ball game. It is a long ball game. You're right. You're right. All right, Tom. Thanks so much. Tom Fitton from JudicialWatch.org. Uh, when we come back, we'll have more from the Ed Morrissey Show, so stay tuned. <laughs>